John chapter 3, as we all know, that this is a chapter with perhaps the most oft-quoted, well-known verse in the entire Bible. You know, that's found in John 3.16. Would someone care to quote that first, please? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Something that we see in football stadiums and when people want to make a statement about their faith, you may see that uh, etched on people's foreheads in a sport, a sporting event. They may have it on their person and their garments. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God came to give life, and those of us who have been born again, we have tasted of something that is better than the fountain of youth that many people have searched for and are still looking for. Who wouldn't like to live forever, or at least live a long time? The idea is that if you live a long time, you'll be able to enjoy life more. But how many of us know that there are a number of people who live an awfully long uh, duration on the face of the earth, but they're not just not happy, but they're actually very miserable. I recall a gentleman that came to the health club where I worked as a teenager, and he was in his 90s doing chin-ups. He looked frail, but he had an iron will, no question about that, 90-something years old, doing chin-ups in the gym. He had a pleasant smile, very conversant. He came out and he said he used to be a newspaper publisher, apparently well off in his retired life, and well off physically. And yet, when the Lord led me, because that was a season in which I got healed miraculously of chronic asthma and a duration of some 11 years in a veritable prison, going from bad to worse and having all kinds of complications because of the breathing difficulties and being rushed to the emergency room and all these things happening routinely. The Lord just drew me out of that pit. And I was so excited, I started telling everybody about Jesus at 19 years old. I did it before that, but particularly when I got healed. And so as I worked in the health club, they placed me in a uh, what they call the pro shop, Uh, little booth-like area with a door that would be split in two to make the bottom half a makeshift counter 
And I was in charge of the supplies for the weight room, uh, nutrition, and clothing. It wasn't a large area, but the manager trusted me and put me there, and I had some privileges where I could spend time reading in between customers, and nobody bothered me. And at that time, I had a hunger for God's Word and began to read and I began to hear sermons. And although I had other interests, God was working in my heart. And instinctively, I knew I couldn't keep this to myself. I had to tell people, and among them were co-workers and fellow students in college, but also these um, people who came, these members of this health club who would frequent this pro shop where I worked within the health facility, this gym. And among them was this elderly man who I could have easily guessed looked, or would have been 20 years younger. He looked that fit, although still having the frailty in the skin and so forth. But he was an upbeat man, and as I began to share the gospel, he said, have you heard of Spinoza, the philosopher? Have you heard of Aquinas? Have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? And he was trying to engage me in his worldly wisdom and uh, a self-made religious philosophy. And I kept trying to convey to him Jesus is the answer. No philosophy can save anyone. We can learn all the philosophy we want. We can make up our own creed, our own charter, start our own religion. We can do anything we want. We're not going to make it to heaven because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so he would listen for a while, then he'd walk away, and the next time I see him, he'll bring up these philosophers again. Now, that simple statement we just heard, in John 3.16, you can't get it any simpler than that. But the question comes up, why would people miss something so great when it's so simple to attain that by just believing in Jesus Christ? John chapter 3, we have this ruler of the Jews. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We may have discussed this before recently. Certainly we want to read it through again. This man didn't want to identify himself as a Christ follower, at least not just then. But his curiosity was uh, stimulated, and the vacuum in his heart, even though he was a ruler of the Jews, he had so much knowledge, he didn't just go to Hebrew school. This was his life, and he was a teacher of the Torah. He was teaching people, people would look up to him. For what reason? To know more about Yahweh. 
to know more about God and his ways and whether we are following him properly. Rabbi or uh, Mr. Pharisee, could you tell us from the Torah if we're doing things right, we want to be right with God? And you say, my son, uh, this is what it says in the Torah. And these are the major rabbinical interpretations of how we should take what God said. It's not good enough what God said in plain terms. But we have modifications along the way from rabbis such as Hillel, these famous figures in Judaism. And um, so we're going to give you some more interpretations and more modifications and more commandments even. Oh, when Jesus came, there was no complication. Jesus came and what you saw was what you got. He spoke the truth as it is. And he reached out and demonstrated God's love. And he did miracles that no one else did. Nicodemus was drawn to this Jesus. And he couldn't help but want to know more about him. But he feared the people. And so he thought, let me go to him at a time when people won't catch me with Jesus. The Lord didn't have any problem with that because Nicodemus happened to be a true seeker. A true seeker. Not just a truth seeker, but a true seeker. There are people who seek truth. When they find it, they say, it's too much for me. I still want to drink and gamble and womanize and all these things. Uh, it's not compatible, so I'll do what some of these rabbis did. I'll modify everything. You know, the rabbis uh, came up to him, or the Pharisees. Uh, teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And the Lord told them exactly what God thinks about that. But they had their own reasons, and they had their interpretation. They did basically whatever they wanted to do. And they found loopholes. They found different interpretations and different schools of rabbinic Judaism to justify themselves. And the Lord told them, you are guys who justify yourself. Anything you want to do, you've got a scripture out of context or you've got an interpretation from one of your leaders and you're ready to justify yourself. You're ready to tell everybody in the world, don't judge me. Because I'm only doing what's good. But who's the standard? You. Not God. Nicodemus was not just a seeker of what is true. A lot of people seek the truth. A lot of people don't. But among the people who seek the truth, a lot of people are not true seekers. They're not looking to let truth change their lives. So they may be seeking truth and even find it, but they don't know the truth intimately and they end up in hell, having greater misery because they actually embarked upon entering into that new life that is eternal by placing their faith squarely on the revelation that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I need him to live. They missed that. They don't come to that point. They come up to the threshold when God in his mercy reveals who he is and they say, no, thank you. 
Nicodemus was different. He not only sought the truth, he was a true seeker. Later on, when Jesus was crucified, he went with Joseph of Arimathea, another man who was a secret disciple for a while, but then they both came out into the open. Hallelujah. They said, we can't hide. To be a disciple of Jesus, it's a contradiction to say I'm a secret disciple. When the Lord says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Glory be to God. God is so good. He takes us to, through these stages. Uh, when we want to identify with Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when things are looking good for us, when more people uh, agree with us, but when the wind blows opposite, uh, Christians begin to squirm sometimes. They want to be incognito. I'd rather hide. Well, I can relate an example to you. Where I wanted to hide one day was when I was working for the MTA many years ago, and there was a disruption in service, and we were stuck in a train. And I was also a passenger at the time. But I had my uniform on, and I sought an escape from the angry crowd in the train car who were blaming the MTA and looking for a scapegoat. They were looking for the conductor, although I was not a conductor. I was an employee in another department, and they can tell with bold MTA insignia on my uniform, this is the man we have to question as to the disruption here and blame. Somehow I slipped out when... Uh, train was uh, stationed there, frozen as it were, and the doors were open. Everybody was waiting there because the announcement was that they will proceed in a little while. Please be patient. Well, I had to get out to protect myself because the anger was growing amongst the patrons there. But Christians can do that also. They can say, you know, it seemed to go much smoother on the job, much easier for me to stay undercover as a Christian. It costs too much to really live the Christian life the way I should, the way I know I should. And I think at this point, I can do a Nicodemus or a Joseph of Arimathea. Um, when I'm with Christians, I can talk it up just like the best of them, about God, about heaven, about eternal life and separation and consecration. Um, but when I'm with non-Christians, I kind of become that chameleon. I can change colors pretty quick and fit in with that crowd. Nicodemus was on trial here. He came to this person he called Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, there was a trial for him to see the more truth you have revealed to you because you're seeking, would it be enough to give you the strength and the spiritual spine to stand up for righteousness? Stand up for the truth? Are you willing to forsake everything to follow Jesus Christ? That was the definition, by the way, that Jesus himself gave for disciples. He saw these miracles. He said, I'm convinced. Nobody has to tell me. I saw it with my own eyes. 
the things that you're doing, Rabbi, I know you must be from God. Jesus answered and said to him, I tell you the truth, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you're coming, looking for the truth. I'm going to spare you. A lot of speech, they can sidestep the main reason you came. Or the main need that you have, you need to get born again. How would you like to do that? You meet a relative, a friend. You're in your own world because we have things to do. People to meet and places to go. We have to answer phone calls and pay bills. and We have to study. We have to work. We have a lot of things to do. We have responsibilities. But then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God moves your heart and you have compassion upon somebody else in front of you. And immediately, God makes the connection in your heart that what's the best thing I can do for this person that all of a sudden I, I have this compassion. Maybe even strangers. I know what to do. I've got to tell them about Jesus. But before I can tell them about Jesus, I've got to be following Jesus because I, I want the Holy Spirit to back up my words. I don't want to just say things because I want to clear my conscience a little bit or attempt to do that. But I want to follow him. The Lord will show Nicodemus the nature of salvation and the dynamics of how one gets born again and the requirements as we will continue to read. I'd like somebody to read John chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 please. Praise the Lord, Pastor. John chapter 3, 1 through 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, "You must be born again." The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So a person has to be born again. 
if the whole Bible were to be shared the purpose for the Bible it would be John 3.16 as I was mentioning about that elderly man that came to exercise and was quoting philosophers even religious philosophers what a tragedy to learn about various religious, various religious systems philosophies uh, to think to go by the lakeside uh, in a boat all by yourself and just appreciate nature and spend some time thinking about life there are times in which we need to reflect we need to get away get alone and think about why am I doing what I'm doing what is the purpose of life where am I headed do I have any connection to anyone outside of me that has power over my destiny do I have any connection to God there are people who are taking trips all around to sacred sites in the world religious shrines uh, they're seeing different gurus and they're studying philosophies and they think that the more they learn the better of a human being they will be but Jesus has a very different take on the human problem whether you look at nations you look at the global trouble you look at family you look at siblings you look at husband and wife you look at neighbors all the problems in the world they came down from rebellion all of the problems because God created paradise for Adam and Eve they had zero problems perfect marriage perfect harmony perfect food perfect heart perfect everything perfect fellowship with God how beautiful they were living in a heaven on earth life but the moment they thought we can be independent uh, here's a temptation here's a fruit that seems to promise wisdom pleasure it seems to promise power by way of eternal life the woman was tempted the devil will never bring something to any of us that will not be appealing it'll always be appealing and he'll give reasons and we'll start thinking we're the ones making up the reasons we know what we're doing but we're being baited in that same cycle of a trap from Satan that happens generation after generation all over the world since the dawn of man the same way he came to Eve and said listen did God tell you not to do this let me tell you why it couldn't possibly be smart to obey God in fact God is trying to hold out on you and you've got to have this right now go and find somebody have a good time uh, you surround yourself with channels through the media people that think like you 
um, and you numb and dumb your conscience through substance abuse or whatever you want to do, any diversion, so long as you can play on this merry-go-round and keep spinning. The devil just brought this carnival flashing before Eve. It's going to be great. Just do it. He convinced her. Anytime sin comes, we need to know. It is not going to be something yucky. It's going to be something that's going to make us feel lucky that I have an inside scoop on something that's going to give me so much pleasure. I have my hopes up high. I'm going to meet this girl or that guy or drink this bottle or go to that restaurant or that bar. And I'm going to, I just going to, I'm going to try things. There's a young lady I remember when I worked in the secular job about 30 years ago. And she said, I like to go to new places all the time. She was in her 20s. She said, I love going to new bars. Damaging her organs, damaging her sensibility by going to new bars to meet new people to do the same old thing, which is drown oneself in an illusion, delusion, and sorrow. Why don't people learn? How many families and people have been destroyed by the drink? Even if people say that, well, we drink as a family. Nobody's lost their jobs. Nobody's had any fights. We're pretty tight. We love to drink together. We know how to hold our liquor. You've got to be sensible, that's all. If you're going to play with a snake, you need to be able to charm that snake. That's all. It'll never bite you. You don't know how to handle it. People do all kinds of things. Jesus said the essential thing is that you know God. You find out where you came from. Who created you? Who placed you in this world? And with what design? That paradise was lost. That's why people are so much in misery. In various ways. Physically, socially, psychologically, spiritually. The root of every problem and difficulty, the reason why God sent Jesus into the world, the Father sent the Son, is because humanity is in a big mess. And the whole human race is about to go to hell. And the Lord says, no, no. I'm not going to stand by, even though they're responsible, not do anything about it. I love that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have this thing. What is it? Eternal life. Where does it start? After you die? No. While you're alive and breathing on this side of eternity, simply say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I need you to save me out of my mess. I realize that I'm no better than my ancestors. I may have more money, I may have more information, I may have more leisure time for sure, but I'm no better. I just smoke differently. 
my language is current, so to speak. Uh, my experiences are varied, perhaps more than my ancestors. But I'm in the same old stinking sewer called sin, living for me. You can't be happy. No one can be happy if you live for yourself. Haven't we found that out? It's when you give yourself away that you get real happiness. That's exactly what Jesus said. He demonstrated it. Just as it's written in John 3.16, as Nicodemus would learn. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Love gives. And that's how love is satisfied. And Jesus said there's no greater love that a person can have than that he lay down his life for his neighbor, for his brother. But the devil says, Eve, you go and satisfy yourself. You'll be happy. It was a lie. Because seeking to please oneself, and especially in a way that God says it's not good for you, is to invite death. And that's exactly what happened. The day Adam and Eve disobeyed and listened to the devil's lies that you're going to get happy, you're going to have this pleasure, go for it. He said they died spiritually. And then physical death came. And with the physical death, illnesses that lead to death. The whole world is in a mess. Greedy and selfish. By the time of Noah, with the global flood, they were doing the most atrocious things imaginable. God says enough is enough. Hundreds of years went by. In fact, more than 2,000 years since the creation of Adam. And all they did was think, 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 evil, 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 since they were little. God said, I'm going to start over. And But he found one person, Noah. A man who understood, I'm not going with the crowd. Because so many people have to go to the bars to unwind and relax and meet somebody new. Doesn't make it right. I'm not following the crowd. Because Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many people go that way. But the way to life is a narrow way, and only a few people go that way. Take your pick. You want to be a secret disciple, a part-time lover of Jesus Christ, or do you want the quality of life where you feel like you're in heaven already? You have such a fellowship with God. You know what comes along with that? Direction. Direction for your life. It doesn't have to be trial and error. Because once Jesus comes in, the light comes in and darkness is exposed. We literally get to see all of the wrong choices we've made as if on a notebook paper, a ledger, assets and liabilities, all the wrong choices that hurt me and hurt others, it gets exposed very clearly and we decide, I don't want that way. I don't want the broad way. I want the narrow way. How do you get to the narrow path? You got to be born again. You got to be born again. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? We're so used to hearing these terms, born again. Imagine if you're Nicodemus. You never heard the term. All you know is, look, this is my religion. 
this is the book, the Torah, the Jewish scriptures, okay? And this is the, these are the rituals we do to keep this connection with our religion and our God. You got to be circumcised at eight days old. You got to make uh, this confirmational bar mitzvah at 13 years of age. You've got to learn the commandments. You've got to learn the Torah. You've got to do this, that, and the other thing uh, to maintain a sense of community with your people. You know, you have a good time with your people. You have your local Jewish dance. You have your marriage ceremony. You go to the temple together. Uh, you have each other's phone numbers. This is how you keep that sense of belonging and self-worth and identity. Jesus burst that bubble very quickly because it was fake. You see, these people who are supposed to know God, they couldn't be any further from God because they thought they could make it on their own. Just give me a little dose of religion. Here's my arm. Give me a booster and I'm going to make it. Jesus said, no. You need a bigger change than that. You need a new heart. The heart that you have now is clever. And it thinks. It's very clever. It tries to bargain with God. God, I want a little of this stuff because I think it can enhance my reputation with you. And I can probably get along better with people. You know, I need a better mood, a better self-image. Uh, uh, I need to think better. Uh, it's okay. Birds of a feather flock together. Um, who are the people that are seeming to have happiness? I like to spend some time with those people. But if that involves following Jesus for the rest of my life and doing what he says, I think what I'll do is I'll be in and out. You know, I'll, I'll mix a little bit here, mix a little bit there. Isn't that the way it goes? You get the best of both worlds? Jesus said no. Unless you're born again, you don't have any part with the kingdom of God. You don't belong to me. But Nicodemus heard this term. Never heard it before. Born again. I wish Jesus would have made it simpler and said, look, Nicodemus, I've got another book for you. Read this. Nicodemus, I'm going to give you 12 easy lessons on how to become a Christian. But this term, born again, Nicodemus did the logical thing that any of us would do. Ask Jesus, what? are you talking about? What on earth is born again? How can a man be born when he is old? Jesus, Rabbi, are you asking me to go a second time into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Most likely his mother would have died. But even if she were alive, how is this possible? What is this all about? Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Unless a person, I don't care who it is, God cares about the world, but he's saying there's no discrimination. It's equal opportunity. You can be an atheist. You can be an agnostic. An atheist says there's no God. An agnostic says, who knows? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I just don't know. You can be a Jew. You can be a Muslim. You can be a Hindu. You can be a make-believe Christian. Go through the rituals, but no relationship with God because the life has not changed. Still in the bars. Still on the media that's not healthy for your spirit. Still thinking about, how can I make me happy? 
Who can I call to make me happy today? Still worshiping self. Yeah, even make-believe Christians. Jesus said, all of you come. You're all invited. Equal opportunity. I want you to be born again because then you're going to have everlasting life. Your quality of life is going to change forever. I'm telling you, unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What is this water? Some have said, well, in the womb of the mother, in the belly of the mommy, you have this amniotic fluid that's a cushion there for the baby in the womb. And the water comes out. The baby comes out too. That's the first birth. But the second one happens through a river of life, the Holy Spirit. You're actually bathed and birthed by the work of regeneration from the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. Others have said, why this is talking about baptism. That as you're born from your mother's womb, you've got to go into the water as an adult or a young person who knows what they're doing. That now I'm publicly declaring to the whole world, I don't care what happens, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He's the king of the universe. And I have an opportunity to follow him. I've surrendered my life to him and said, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of trying to run my life and get happiness. I see it's a dead end all the time, all the time. It's a high followed by a hangover. Never fails to happen. I want to be on that spiritual high where I'll never come down forever. I want the real life. And so I'm going to get baptized because I'm making a public commitment to the world, to the Lord, to the devil. I'm following Jesus. I don't care what I lose in this world. I made up my mind. I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus. Baptism does not mean salvation, but it's a part of salvation because, as we read recently in Mark chapter 16, you have to believe and you have to be baptized to be saved. Because baptism feels that commitment publicly. And also you receive grace to walk with God. Now, we can get all of that and throw it away by saying, I'm going to trash what God gives me because I want to go back to cursing and drinking and smoking and partying and living for money, living for self, self-image. i got to be careful that I look good in front of the people, you know. I can't let them see me sweat. i got to always make myself look like I'm Mr. Cool or Mrs. Cool. Uh, no, I, I've abandoned that lifestyle. That's a stinking lifestyle. Serving self, going down in pretense and hypocrisy. I want the real life. The life where I don't have to live to please people. I live to please God. And when I please God, I can help people out of real love. And I can have the quality of life where I know who I am in Christ, what he's doing in my life, where he's taking me, from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. That which is born of the flesh 
is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, don't think in terms of going back to your mother's womb. I'm not talking about that. You're missing the point. I'm talking about a new birth from above. It's directly from heaven, where the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life when they say, Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. You know who can say that? Not only the person who may be abusing his own body, who may be participating in sinful acts that everybody agrees is not really good, but the person also who seems to have it all together. Can you imagine somebody who never drinks, never smokes, never commits adultery or fornication, always on time to the job, always working the hardest, always saving money, always taking care of the family, making sure they're well-fed and well-dressed, and always thinking how to participate in community projects to help facilitate the common good. Oh, that's an ideal person. They've got it all together, but that person, when they come to the cross, realizes, I'm a sinner. How? How can you possibly count yourself a sinner when you don't do the things that most people do? Because the light manifests the darkness that's in the human heart, plagued with sin from our first human parents who disobeyed God, and that generational DNA continues in the human heart, but also because I'm living for me after all. Even in doing things for the community. How's the tax write-off on this gig? Uh, things that I speak to myself that nobody knows, perhaps. But God has recorded every word. And he plays it back when I come to the cross and say, Lord, I'm not so bad as this guy or that girl. After all, I look what I do, God. I don't waste a second. I have the seven most effective habits of a successful man or woman. I read the book. I'm living by that book. I'm highly effective. I know how to win friends. But then the light shines from heaven and shows what a miserable, self-deceived person you are. Yeah, that person who doesn't drink smoke, doesn't commit adultery, crosses all the T's and dots all the I's, all of a sudden realizes, like Nicodemus perhaps, I come near Jesus, and the more I get near him, the more I see how sinful I am. I couldn't see before. I was blind. But the truth has come to show me I've got a disease called sin. And Jesus is the cure with his blood. i got to get born again. And I can't do it physically. It's not a matter of this world or the flesh. I can't buy it. It's got to come from heaven. It's a free gift. I need to get this. How do I do it? It's born of the Spirit. Jesus says, don't be amazed, Nicodemus, that I said you must be born again? What is he saying? The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is he saying? Let's go backwards here. The wind blows, a natural phenomenon everybody knows about. You feel a breeze. Perhaps an autumn breeze or a summer breeze or winter breeze. 
You don't see the wind, but sometimes you can hear it. Sometimes you can see the effects of it on objects in its path. But you really can't tell instantly where it's coming from, where it's going, because it can change direction any time. That's why you have sophisticated technology that meteorologists use to try to set up systems and patterns of sophisticated analysis sophisticated analysis to determine these things. And, but the common person, especially in those days, you can guess some things and you can conjecture some things by the color of the sky and so forth, but it can come suddenly. He says, that's what happens when you get born again. Suddenly, suddenly, you know that now you belong to Jesus Christ. Suddenly you know you're a son or daughter of the Most High King. No more. Being on the fence or not being sure and wondering, but I'm trying and one day I'll get to Jesus. It could be too late. But the Lord says the way this born again thing works is Nicodemus, it's not sensible. You cannot pick it up with human rationale. You can go to study science and figure out different things, but with the Spirit, it takes spiritual understanding. Only I can give it to you. But I want to tell you, stop trying to rationalize this thing. Dive in. It's a gift from heaven. Take it, no matter what it costs you, by way of people pleasing and self-pleasing. Abandon, abandon that stuff, because that'll take you to help. Be a lover of God, pleaser of God. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from, where it goes. That's how it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, backing up to verse 7, he said, don't be amazed of me saying, don't marvel that I said you must be born again. I'm talking about a spiritual transaction, something from heaven. You don't have it, Nicodemus. You can have it. Nicodemus still scratching his head. I'm hearing this, but how can these things be? How does it work? I, I understand that it's something that I can't perceive but I still want to try to figure it out with my human Jewish brain. Jesus answered and said to him, You are a teacher of Israel. People are looking up to you for spiritual truth. And you don't know this? I'm telling you the truth. We, who's we? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or as sometimes Jesus reveals the Father and Himself, and the Spirit comes later to bear witness. I tell you truly, we speak about things that we know and testify what we have seen. God can see the supernatural. He can see the spiritual. He knows when a human heart is touched and instantly transformed, faster than the person knows, and He knows it in depth. He can screen the human heart and know every motive, every thought, every plan. We can smile and talk nicely to other people, even look in the mirror and say, you're a good person, I like you. And talk about all the good things that you have done. Convince yourself, but God says, I've got the truth. <laughs> but I have the truth. Israel doesn't receive the witness of heaven, of God. Nicodemus? You're one of those guys. You don't have to be. Will you believe what I'm telling you? 
if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe? How will you believe? You're trying to understand something heavenly and spiritual. You're not even understanding the concept of the spiritual birth being something you can't physically correlate to with the womb of a mother and a baby emerging from that womb into this world. I'm talking spiritual things. It's a different process altogether. But I can correlate the wind to the swiftness or the suddenness and the invisible quality, nonetheless the reality of spiritual rebirth. You can't perceive it with the eyes, your ears. You're going to have a brand new spirit on the inside when you get born again. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. I'm bringing this knowledge to you because I came from that place where this rebirth starts from, where it comes from. I'm telling you what I know. You can experience this. Trust me. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? We're testifying. I'm telling you. Trust me. Believe me when I tell you. You've got to be born again. We can talk philosophy from now until this world ends. We can talk about health, nutrition, dating, all kinds of stuff, relationships. We can talk about industry. We can talk about technology. We can talk about horoscopes. We can talk about feelings. We can talk about weather and the kind of clothing you like to wear. We can talk about every subject under the sun. Not a bit of it is going to profit you because you'll go to hell without Jesus. But I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus. Okay? You need to be born again. That's what Jesus said. You want Jesus? You have to receive Jesus the way Jesus can come into your heart. That's being born again. How do you get born again? Verse 14, the Son of God says, uh, relating to an incident that happened about 1,500 years prior in Israel's history. The children of Israel, they sinned. And the Lord sent punishment with these serpents coming and biting them. They were evil, these people. God kept pouring out and pouring out love and provision, prosperity and protection and power. And they said, well, we'll take it. We'll take it. And we get fatter and fatter, flourishing. But we'll kick at you, God, because we don't, we're not going to do what you say. We love your peace. We love your love. We love everything about you, Jesus. But we'll take all those gifts and then we'll kick at you. That's what they did. And God said, no, you don't. You keep doing this, you're going to end up in hell. Let me chasten you. Let me punish you. At least somebody will listen. God's a good parent. He's not a parent who will let the child run in the street in the road when the cars are coming and say, well, you're on your own. And whisper sweet nothings into the child's ear when the child's in mortal danger. A good parent will shake that child and say, you don't do this. You understand me? Next time you do it, you're going to pay a hefty price because I love you. I'm warning you. God had to do that, and so God does today. Because He loves us, He allows certain things to happen 
we fall flat on our face, we get into despair because we're not doing it God's way. We're trying to justify ourselves. And God says, I have to punish you. So you wake up before you perish forever. These Israelites, they did something wrong. God punished them. The very serpents that bit them, God says to Moses, quick, get that brass serpent, make this, put it on a pole that everybody looks at it. Suddenly, they remember, hey, my sin is causing grief and pain to God and to me. I need to face it. Well, Jesus takes that incident and he says, Nicodemus knew this. He was a teacher of the Jewish law and the stories, the truth, the history. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, this brass serpent that he made, that everyone who looks on that serpent, instantly they were cured. Even so, must the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who was born as a man, the Son of God, but the Son of Man also, be lifted up. What is he talking about? Lifted up? Ascend into the clouds? No. Put on this cross and put up on this cross. The crucifixion. He's going to give his life. God so loved the world that he gave his Son, not to come and take a tour of the earth and go in a big Pope mobile with bulletproof glass pronounced blessings so called no he came to die he came to give his life very precisely exactly as it was planned because he loved us he didn't want us to go to hell it's written here Jesus saying like that brass serpent was put on the pole and everybody who got bit by the fiery serpents serpents they looked at it they got cured the son of God will be lifted up the Son of Man. And whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How many people have you heard that says, I'm trying, but I just can't seem to get myself to receive everything. I'm trying to feel it, but I just can't seem to feel it. So I'm going to stay in that kind of state until uh, conditions change. Maybe I'll have a better day. How many people do you know that sick physically would thrive on such a philosophy? I'm trying to feel better, but I just don't feel better. And I'm going to wait for a day when I'll feel better. Would they not call the doctor? And why would they call the doctor if they don't believe in the doctor? And why would they take the medicine that the doctor prescribes unless they believe the medicine can help them? Oh, they know how to believe. And yet when it comes to spiritual things, a lot of people say, I I just, I guess I'm not at that point, Pastor. I, I guess uh, I have to think about it a little more. And I, I'm waiting for a better day. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I have some friends calling. I have an important appointment. I've got to go to the beach. I've got an important appointment. I've got to catch this TV show. Everybody's watching it and my friends are calling me. You've got to be in and on it. You've got to be part of the crowd. Oh, human beings have the capacity to believe. Otherwise, God would not ask them to believe in Him. It's a choice to say, God, you stay there at arm's length and I'll get to you when I get to you. What folly. Gambling with one's soul. How many people are dying? Suddenly, suddenly, 
they catch something and they're gone within a matter of days sometimes. God have mercy. What a horror to think that those people would have thought, I have another year to get right with God or make amends. And all of a sudden they're in a position where they're fighting for their lives. Very difficult when you're fighting for your life to think about surrendering to Jesus. Very hard. God says you better settle it today. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. The reason Jesus came down wasn't to say, you're doing wrong, that's wrong, you're wrong. All of you are just giving me a headache. I'm going to go to the mountain and pray to my father. And when I feel like I'm in a better mood because I can't stand you, you're all naughty, I'll I'll come and visit you on a Sunday maybe next week. I can't stand you. He didn't come with that attitude at all. He knew exactly what we were doing before he ever left heaven. Do you realize that? While we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. He knew what he was getting into, where he was coming into, this mess that we've made. Selfishness, evil, foolishness, perversion, hatred, lies. He saw the whole thing. It's a sick society, humanity is. From the beginning of the rebellion. But God so loved the world. He saw the mess. He came down so that those who believe in him will have life. All we have to do is believe. Atheist, agnostic, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, all kinds of people, Buddhist, anyone and everyone, God is equal opportunity. All we have to do is say, Jesus, I thank you for showing me the extent of my dark heart, the extent of the offense, Lord, that I've been living in against you. I've been playing God with my life. Oh, my God, forgive me. How dare I try to take your authority from you and act like I have the authority. Oh, Lord, you died so that I can be freed from this deception that will lead me to hell. I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that today is the day that I need to surrender to you. I want you in my life, Lord. Change me. Save me, Lord. Whatever it takes, Lord, I've got to be in your kingdom, Lord. I don't want to end up in hell. Jesus said you can be saved. I didn't come to condemn you. But there are people who stop right there and say, Jesus loves you. He'll never ever say anything to hurt you. That's true. But they go on to say, he'll never say anything to hurt your feelings. And that may not be true because people have their own opinions. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he says, but this that you're doing is darkness. There are people who get their feelings hurt. They'll say, Jesus, 
I can't be with you. I can't sign on the dotted line. I, I'm afraid I can't follow you because you told me I can't drink myself to death and I want to do it. Can you come with me to drink and still be my bodyguard, Jesus? Jesus says, you can't cheat on your taxes because fraud is not from God, it's from the devil. It's a lie. God is the truth. You can't do that anymore. Oh, that hurt my feelings, some people say. He just called me a liar. I'm going to go and find me some tax help somewhere else where they will agree with me and tell me I'm a great person because I know how to escape the government. And I've been doing it for quite a long time. I'm okay. People can get their feelings hurt by the truth when they're wicked. That's why verse 18 is important. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the people are condemned already. The Lord is not coming to rub that in. No, it's already established. Without Jesus, the person, the whole world is condemned. But he didn't come to broadcast that message primarily. He came to tell people how not to be condemned anymore. That if you believe in me, you can be saved. This word believe must be understood in the context of other scriptures. And what better way to understand it than go to the scriptures themselves. Go to John chapter 1, a couple of chapters below that, or before that, and you see what it means to believe in him. Somebody please read John chapter 1 verse 12. And I hope you can make a notation and couple that with John 3.16 and the rest of the verse in John chapter 3. It will give you a clear picture of how to know you're born again, how to continue with Jesus, and how to tell other people accurately. Someone please read John 1.12. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Amen. Amen. The word believe, according to scripture, means to receive. It's not something just mental. It's not something that I say, well, okay, I see the facts. Um, I believe it. Uh, here's a car. Uh, this car can go so fast in 60 seconds. And here's the video, and here's the proof, and this is the mechanism inside, and uh, how efficient it is, and they have all these uh, turbo features in it, and that's why you can go so fast in such a short time. Well, with that kind of background, most people say, I believe it, but will you receive it? Are you going to buy it? You go to the sales floor, the showroom, you can say, I believe everything you're saying, but the salesman is not interested in just you mentally agreeing with him. He wants you to buy it. In Jesus' case, he's not selling anything. He's giving a free gift. And the benefit is not for him. He's God from eternity to eternity. You can't add anything to him. You can't take anything away. Hallelujah. He's Almighty God. He doesn't need anything or anyone. But he loves us, and he says, I want you to be the beneficiary. And the benefit we're talking about is not some perks. 
something to enhance your reputation and to give you an easier time on your job or in your society. The benefit is you get to live and not die in hell forever. You get to live a type of life even before you get to heaven that is full of glory, direction from God, hearing God, being led by the Spirit, God showing you when the devil is coming and lurking here and there and warning you and protecting you and prospering you and helping you to be a bright light in this world. What parent wouldn't want that? What, what good parent wouldn't say, well, I want my child to have a better education than I ever had, better opportunities. I don't want my child to suffer the way I suffer. That's a good parent. An evil parent will say, let them suffer. I suffer, so they got to suffer. In fact, I don't care if they suffer more. That's an evil parent. But even a good earthly parent, a normal parent, would say, I want my child to have the best, even better than what I had. How much more God? That's the offer. Have the best now and forever. But how do you get born again? You got to believe in Jesus Christ. What does believe mean? Not just mentally, I hear it. I, I, I hear you. I, I accept it. I'm, he's got to be the Messiah. Sounds good. Um, I'll even pray. Jesus, I love you. Can you do something about this problem? Uh, I love you. You're beautiful. It's fantastic. It was amazing what I heard about you and what you said in the scriptures. I mean, I can't get enough of this stuff. Put it on my phone. Put me a copy of that Bible on my phone. Uh, buy me a big old Bible I can keep on my living room or family room dining table or coffee table. Uh, give me verses I put up all over my house. Uh, give me Christian worship songs. I like it. But did you receive Jesus in your heart? You don't become a Christian by osmosis, a mystical experience where, uh, where you're surrounded by Christian stuff and Christian people. You become a Christian by surrendering at the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. I'm a sinner, Lord. I'm a great sinner. You're a great Savior. I need you. Save me, Lord. Oh, God, I need a new heart. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I need you, Lord. I need you to write my name in the book of life in heaven. I want to be in that registry. God, I want you to guide me by the Holy Spirit. I want a new relationship with you. God, you are the first love and the chief love of my life from now on. Get born again that way. When you're sincere. By receiving him into your heart. Scripturally, believing means to receive. Which means to get down from the throne of my heart decide what I want to do and who I want to see, where I want to go, how I want to feel, what I want to put in my body, who I want to let handle my body. Everything now is God. You are the creator of my body and of the universe. I'm sorry for offending you all these years of God. I thought I was God. That's the way I was living. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord. But today, as of today, I want you to be my leader, my father, and actually come into my heart. God will do it. But why are the people condemned who don't receive him? 
And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. When did it come? About 2,000 years ago. After when? After about 4,000 years of human history. At a set time, exactly when he should have came, Jesus came. For 2,000 years we have the message that can save a human soul from destruction and bring that person into a right relationship with God, enjoying God's presence and real prosperity. People say, I'll do my own thing. Maybe when I get into a real problem, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I can cry to God. It's very rare that a person on his or her deathbed comes to Christ. The reason is, they have rebelled so much, the heart gets so hardened, and the conscience comes screaming at that time, saying, you, you heard about Jesus, and you kept putting him off, 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 and now you're calling on him? You're no good, and the demons will come and take that person to hell. Very difficult. Rarely does a person on the deathbed become a Christian. Because the human heart is very, very tricky. It's deceitful. It gets very hard very quickly. We need to be careful. We need to say, when I'm able to receive Jesus, I'm going to trash every other argument that keeps me from getting everlasting life. Because nothing is equivalent to everlasting life. I refuse to offend God not one moment longer. Will I offend God? Oh Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men, including women, loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The conscience tells us. You know, a little child, a little child playing in the street is introduced to immorality by a lustful glance from an older kid or even a relative. And the child looks at the person who's lusting after somebody passing by and saying things and making gestures. And the child is perplexed. And then the child looks at the object of affection and the person walking by that this relative or this older kid is looking at and making these comments, obviously in lust. And the child is perplexed, thinking, what is going on here? Uh, but the child learns. The darkness is not only palpable, it's contagious. And the child becomes a fool also by doing the same thing. Worse than dogs in the street, looking for pleasure, being destroyed simultaneously. That's darkness. Oh, we can clean that up. We can say, well, it's not a wino. It's not a womanizer. It's not somebody sleeping by the gutter. Look at that guy. No, you may be a physician. That's right. Working at one of the premier hospitals bound to cocaine, bound to lust. A famous physician, I should say a well-known physician in Singapore, rather young, millionaire very quickly. He studied very hard. He was Number one, all the time, he said, that's what I was conditioned to be. I couldn't have, be anything less. Number one. In the medical school, number one in this field, everywhere. And he said, I sat around after I set up my practice in a lucrative way with enough leisure time. And um, one of my biggest uh, pastimes was to consult with other young doctors like myself, who also had millions, 
to decide which fancy sports car we would buy and which real estate we would have our hand in together to make more money. And you know what he did? He smoked and he flirted and he exercised. He was your Iron Man or Superman, a very confident, self-confident playboy. And one day he had some pain in his back and he went to his doctor friend and got an x-ray and the MRI and the friend said, uh, you have a bad case of some kind of uh, um, sprain or dislocation. You got to take it easy. You stop doing those heavy squats, okay? You already look like a bodybuilder. Lay off of that for a while. You'll be fine. And he did, but the pain kept persisting. Then he found out he was in an advanced stage of cancer. All of a sudden, everything came to a head. He started thinking about what on earth was I thinking all this time? Now, everything that I built is like a sandcastle. Oh, the torment. Thankfully for him, although he died a short time later, the man received Jesus Christ into his heart. He began to go into the dental schools and medical schools and anyone who wanted to hear, he started telling them, I was living for me. I was a fool. I thought I was smarter than everybody else. I live for money and pleasure and now my life is going to end. And thankfully for him, he had a Christian friend who told him about Jesus. And he also had a supernatural experience where a Bible verse came into his head. All of a sudden, he never read the Bible, he said. And the Bible was from the book of Hebrews and it says, My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And his friend was astonished. You never read the Bible. You don't even know what the book of Hebrews is. You don't even know if it's in the Bible, let alone where the verse is. And he found out where the verse is. And it shook him to the core because there was God telling him, I love you. I know. He did so much evil. You burn people, you burn yourself. But you still have breath in your lungs. And I'm telling you, I had to do this. Allow this to happen for you to be saved forever, not go to hell. He was so broken up. He said, God, you love me that much? I was such a fool. There's going to be no more delay. He received the Lord into his heart. He believed him. He received him. And he started becoming unselfish. He was already safe. He's going to go to heaven, whether he lives or dies. The fear of death was gone. God gave him enough time to go to speak to a lot of people, including would-be graduates from dental and medical schools in Singapore. And he boldly published his testimony. He said, I'm Richard so-and-so. I was deceiving myself. I didn't know love. I didn't care. All I cared about was me and my image and my physical pleasures. But I found the Son of God loved me, even though I was ungodly. I surrendered my life to him. I'm born again. I'm telling you all, don't do like I did. Don't waste your life. And can you imagine? A doctor who's so accomplished and so admired, head of this, head of that, has millions to throw around, bachelor. Biggest worry was to decide what sports car to buy. $150,000 car? No problem. Go out and ride it in the country. Go as fast as you want. Buy buildings and property. Make more millions.
This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because of these were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. You think he would have cared before the Lord brought him to that point when people told him about God perhaps in the past? He saw churches and he saw this and that. He would have thought, well, everybody has their own society. Those are for the poor people, ignorant people who need that crutch because they just are not smart as me. You see, I don't need God. I'm a self-made multimillionaire. I've got a body that women adore. I'm pretty cool, if I may say so myself. I've got friends in high places. We smoke, drink, gamble. I have a moral pleasure. Hey, I'm just trying everything to see where I want to settle. Can't blame me, can you? The light exposed darkness. And he had to be floored and leveled before he can look up and say, God, I thank you for loving me because I could have gone to hell. I'd rather go through anything on this earth than go to hell. And I have heaven on earth right now because my heart is transformed. I'm so glad, Lord, that you exposed the evil that I was involved in, that I denied. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth, that person said, enough is enough. I am bowing down, surrendering my knee to the truth of the gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ. That person comes to the light. Why? Because they have decided. I don't just want to seek the truth. I want to be a true seeker of the truth. And I want my deeds to be exposed because the more God exposes, the more I throw out till there's no evil left. Hallelujah. That his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. Isn't that marvelous? We're going to stop right here. Isn't that marvelous that a person can have a brand new slate? Every evil that we've done can be instantly washed away permanently. So we're innocent as a baby before God. How beautiful. There are two kinds of people that need to hear this message. One, as you can guess, would be those who have not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're gambling with their souls. One heartbeat away from eternal torment and pain and destruction, conscious torment. God says, I love you. I love you so much, I don't want you to go to hell. Because that's where you're headed. No matter what you have, what you've done. You're in bad shape. Without everlasting life. Surrender to me. Believe on my name. Receive me into your heart. Believe that I died on the cross for your sins. And you'll be born again. The other group were Christians who know the truth, they've tasted the truth, they actually have been washed by the blood of Jesus, but they're back flirting with disaster because they've been deceived by Satan once again who's been telling them, you can wing this, you can, you can handle this. Who told you you can't drink? Some cultic group told you that? 
You can be a Christian. You can drink all you want. Just don't bring it into the chapel. The pastor comes around, make sure you hide the bottles. You don't know how to do it. And don't drink, drink too much, because that's not smart. You won't be able to work or play tennis anymore. That person who was a Christian or is a Christian about to become an ex-Christian, maybe permanently, forever, how dangerous, is also being warned. Don't flirt with sin because if you go back to darkness, the light will still shine. But it may be the day it will shine will be on Judgment Day because you're refusing it right now. Come back to God because God loves you. Didn't say God so loved the non-Christians or God so loved the Christians or the God so loved only this group or that group. God so loved the whole world. He's so wonderful. I pray that your heart and your mind, your body, surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because then you can know and have the assurance you are in the light as He's in the light. God will speak to you and He'll reveal things to you that you never knew. And He'll help you to glorify Him with your life because that's the reason He created you. Three of you can go ahead and pray and then I'll pray. Praise God.